the person that asks the questions also controls the conversation. If you think about, hey, I'm not, I'm not a good conversationalist. I'm introverted. I'd like to do this, but I'm introverted. That's what I get a lot of times. Well, what's the problem then? If you're introverted and you don't really want to talk about yourself, or you don't really ask questions, learn about other people. You will control the conversation. You don't have to talk about yourself because you're learning about other people. Well, guess what? Like you said, you ask those questions. You go, that's a great, that's a great point they made. I'm, I'm going to write a blog post about that, or I'm going to create some art about that, or I'm going to write, put that in my book. It doesn't come from telling what you already know. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artists, makers, and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at Mike Bone or on my website, which is mikebrennan.me. Hey, I'd love for you to stop by dailycreativehabit.com. I've created several resources with you in mind as a creative person. First, there's a link to our free private Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It is filled with creatives of all types who have raised their hands to say, I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and craft. And so if that's you, we would love to see you as part of this group. There's also a link to receive our free Daily Creative Habit email newsletter. This goes out twice a week and is filled with resources and inspiration and daily prompts for you as a creative person to make sure that you keep showing up every single day for your creativity. And lastly, there's a link out to the new Daily Creative Habit Guided Creativity Journal. And this is something that I'm really excited about because it's a 90-day journey that you can go on that guides you to plan and show up for your creativity and help you track and help you measure and figure out exactly what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. This is available right now through amazon.com. Hey, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Vincent Puglisi today and having a conversation about creativity, about connection, about being curious. And Vincent shares his past experiences and um, his journey unpacking some truths, some really uh, insightful moments that I know are going to speak to you. And he even shares a, a story where he had a run-in with somebody from the mafia. So if that hasn't piqued your curiosity yet, uh, be sure to tune into this episode because you're not going to regret it. Uh, Vincent drops a lot of insights for any creative, really, um, and talking about business, talking about um, just again, being curious about people and leaning into the relationships that we form because it's, uh, it can unlock things for our own journey, for their journeys. It helps us show up how we really need to in the things that we're creating. So without further ado, I'm going to get out of the way. Here is my creative chat with Vincent Puglisi. Well, Vincent, welcome to the creative chats podcast, dude. I love that you're here. I'm thrilled to be here. I can't wait. Yes, yes. And uh, I enjoyed meeting you really. Well, not really just meeting you, but just hanging out with you in uh, in Orlando recently. Uh, we met pre previously quickly, but uh, just really getting to know you better this time around and hearing your story. And that's why I was excited to have you on the show, because I think um, your journey and story, you have a lot to offer uh, the, the, my audience right here in creative chats. Um, and I'm excited to dive into that. So, um, yeah, this is awesome. Thank you again. No, my pleasure. My let's, let's go. 
Yeah, yeah. So when somebody asks you, okay, uh, who are you? What do you do? What's your what's the line that you drop on people? That's a hard one for them. Like, it really is. Yeah. Like I I go, I'm kind of like a cat with nine lives. And I'm like, which which life do you want to talk about? Yeah. Because yeah. you know, there's so many levels to it in terms of where you want to go. But yeah, I, I'm a creative at heart. That's why I love being here. And that creativity has been a blessing and a struggle and a curse because yeah. I I haven't been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I'd be diagnosed ADHD if if I was diagnosed, right? I just know my personality in terms of the multiple interests, in terms of being very excited often to start something, and then not that long later being kind of, eh, I want to do this thing, right? right? And that was a big challenge early on because it drive my wife crazy because I'd be so excited about something, I get her excited about it at first she was kind of hesitant i you know bulldoze and get her excited and then three weeks later it's something else and that's exhausting you know that's exhausting to be that way so i had to learn how to rein that in it's probably been my biggest challenge and biggest success to be able to say like no i know i know what the path is i know what i'm sticking to i know i'm not going to get distracted from this and i need to set goals to to stick here and build out i think it's a creative challenge quite often yeah. because we have so many interests yeah. that which one do you stick with? Um, so even right now in the life that I'm in, like I was a photographer for 20 something years and it was something that I absolutely loved, but it, it, it met a need for me personally more in the early days than the later days. The later mm-hmm. days became much more, you know, income based, freedom based, but I wasn't as passionate about it. But it was it, it did well for our family and it did well for my time. But I eventually, you know, I got to do everything. I got to, you know, I was a sports photographer, so I got to shoot everything you can imagine, World Series and Super Bowls, got to do, you know, news stuff. So I'd be with, you know, presidents would come to town and I spent the day with the Dalai Lama, right? You know, I got flown out for Muhammad Ali's birthday party, like all this cool stuff, very self-involved stuff, to be quite honest, like mm-hmm. my own passions, but I wasn't really... I don't feel like I was making an impact with it. Maybe I was somewhere, but it was really more for me. And then, you know, kind of getting into the idea of coaching, which was never something I was ever going to do. I wasn't a coach, but I wound up just kind of helping people because we had built this business that had given us this life of freedom through creativity, through our own creativity, my wife and I, and never really held a whole lot of value in that. For others, I didn't believe until some other people were like, well, how did you do this? Because I want to do what you did. And then I have to start exploring. This is probably about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more. Like, how did we do this? So I started writing. And that's how my first book, Freelance to Freedom, came out um, and was written. But it really came from trying to take what we've learned and help other people solve their problems from it. Now I'm like, do I leave behind the thing that, you know, I've been doing for 20 something years, which is, you know, visual and and photography and that type of stuff. And I have never been one that shies away from change. I just don't. I actually embrace it almost too often where I'm like, okay, we did that. I'm done with it. Checked it off. I want to go try something completely different. So that's the world that I, that I moved to about six, towards about six, seven years ago. When I was like, are we leaving this behind? And it's like, I'm not one to kind of hang around and maintain. I'm like, either I'm growing or I'm leaving something with that in terms of business. So we basically said, no, we're going to, we're going to replace this. We're going to create something completely new that we have no proof of concept of, and we are going to build it up to replace the photography income. So I get a lot of people coming to me, like I have a six figure job. I don't want to 
give that up, but I also had this passion to do this other thing. Well, we've done it multiple times when we left behind six-figure businesses for the next one. And it's a lot of experience in, in built. And then you can take those things and still earn income from it, but now really move towards what you love doing. And what I've learned, and I don't know if a lot of creators feel the same way, like my, what I love really kind of changes every couple of years. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people come to me like, well, you've done a lot. I'm like, I've done a lot because I move really fast. I'm not afraid of change. And we get stuff done and then we kind of build the next thing. It's a lot of fun because then you can say, oh, you know, I speak on stage. I've written books. I've done this. I've done photographs. So to me, it fits my personality to kind of move quick, figure it out, be successful at it, move on to the next one. It makes it kind of an interesting conversation. But also when you get asked, hey, you know, tell me about your life. <laughs> yes. like, how do I explain that? You know, which which chapter are we starting at? So, yes, a yes. Long-winded, long-winded start to that answer. No, but you know what? I appreciate that. And I can resonate with that because um, I feel the same way in a lot of ways where there are multiple interests and there are chapters of my life that some seemingly have nothing to do with the other, right? Until you start to trace a thread through it and you go, okay, here's the thing that actually is is what the the baseline is. Um, and it's interesting when you start observing your own life in that way and finding those threads and finding like, okay, that's really attached to my why that's really attached to my passions and Mm -hmm. like creative expressions can change from season to season sometimes. Um, but who you are as you're showing up for that expression, uh, doesn't necessarily change in, in those things. Um, and what's important to you, you know, at a, at a core level, I think is really important to pay attention to because, then you have more freedom to be able to move in and out of those things, right? Yeah, and it's absolutely what I've learned is it's a it's an incredible blessing because mm-hmm. what you learn is when you move away from one thing, you still have all those experiences and connections from it that yeah. then build upon the hill that is the next one. So for instance, with us, it's like with our coaching and and, and the platform we built around Total Life Freedom, you know, the next level to this is like you and I were talking about, it's a low-priced option, right? But it's built around the concept of a stadium. Well, guess what? My entire childhood as a fan, and then my career was in the world of sports. So where was I every day in a stadium? I was inside of a stadium. I was on a field taking pictures of these guys playing a game or these women playing a game. And they're playing a game, but it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. And it never clicked until two years ago this is the business model that entrepreneurs should be following because they've figured this out. Watch them and study what they do instead of just trying to figure out on my own. So I started studying them. And it's only because of my experience in the past from the the lives that I've walked away from that I even had the insight to do this. So now I go, wait a second. These guys show up and they play one game. Unlike the ADHD entrepreneur creative that has is trying to play seven different games. Now, can you imagine the Philadelphia Phillies being like, well, we're going to play this afternoon in Philadelphia, and then we're going to go to Allentown, and we're going to go to, you know, State College, and we're going to go to Asbury Park. We're going to play all the same day. But what are you going to get? You're going to get a handful of people all over the place. You're not going to have your best team out there. You're not going to have a great venue. It's going to be a hodgepodge. Everybody's going to be stressed out. They're going to not be making a whole lot of money, and people are going to quit, and it's going to fall apart. That's how so many entrepreneurs and creators build businesses, as opposed to, no, wait a second, they play one game. Phillies go South Philadelphia and they play one game 
And from there, they give a lot of stuff away for free, right? They give away their game on the radio for free. Now they make money with advertising. Well, they pay a couple of dollars to, to go on to watch on TV. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. I've kind of become a fan from you being, you know, giving your content for free. I'm going to go pay money to sit in the upper level, right? Oh, well, down below there, they're catching foul balls. I'm going to spend a little bit more money there. Oh, wait, down by the field, they're getting to meet the players and get autographs. Oh, look at that. In Florida, they do fantasy camp. You spend thousands of dollars. And when I finally figured this out, it's like they're playing one game. They're not stressed out. They're not overwhelmed, but they're creating so many options for their fans by doing that. And when I figured that out and I learned we can create our business with the same exact model as a creative. Now I don't have to get overwhelmed because all the content I create, Mike, and all of the connections I make really just have to fit within that stadium, within that model. And the stuff that doesn't fit in there, now I say, no, I'm not going to allow my creative brain to go into a different area because now I'm driving to Pittsburgh to do something that makes no sense. I have mm-hmm. to stay within my stadium. It's the framework that I think creatives need because it allows them to not only stay in their lane, but also have different options. For me, like I can't just do a mastermind. I'll be bored out of my mind if it's the only thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And I can't just speak on stage and I can't just write books. I need every day to use my storytelling abilities in different ways. But if I could take those storytelling abilities and that connection ability and put it into one area and then have offers from top to bottom for anybody, now I stay in my lane, but I also can be very creative. So that's that's mm-hmm. all the stuff that I learned from my past life that I never even do anymore. So that's how the even the stuff you do in the past can benefit you in the future. Yeah, yeah. I would assume that it would probably be a difficult thing, though, to let go of some of the things that are in, that you said, you know, maybe of interest, but that are not aligned, right? Um, is there a place for some of that stuff still? Like, is it hobby then? Or is it, you know, this served me at one point in my life, but now I'm using that as a bridge to something new? Yeah, it, you know, I think the sports would be the main thing for me because I love the high of it. I loved being in the dugout. I loved being on the field. I loved the, you know, there was no better feeling than standing on the sideline of a football game and the jets fly over and the national anthems just finishing up and you're there as everything's about to happen. And I look at my camera and my, and my discs and I go, at the end of this game, I, I might have a historic image on here. It's going to be like, there was nothing like that. At the same time, I'm like, I have three kids at home and I don't love being away from them. And I don't love the, it's not a great paying thing. It's a, it's an ego boosting career, but it's not a great paying career. And I said, yeah, I'm going to let that go. I have to let that go because it's not aligned with where I want to go. Maybe in the future when, you know, but I, I'm the type of person that once I kind of move on from it, I'm to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I view myself as a storyteller. Like I am, I am, I'm not a, I was never a photographer. So when we were in college, everybody was photographers. They kept their camera everywhere. I didn't, we went to the bar, the restaurant. I want to talk. I want to have a conversation. So what I learned was this, I'm a storyteller, not a photographer, Uh meaning whether I'm taking a picture or I'm writing a blog post or I'm speaking on stage or I'm recording a podcast, as long as I'm telling a story of some way, I'm in my creative element. So for me to leave that behind was very easy for me, actually, because I have too much stuff in the future that I'm excited about. You know, I met way too many people who live in the past. Back in the 90s, back in the 80s, like, 
move on. Mm-hmm. Either do it or move on. But I don't ever live in the past. So it, it's it's actually much easier for me to walk away from that stuff. I just like what we talked about earlier, taking some of those things and using those lessons to build the next thing that mm-hmm. I want to do. I want, I want to be moving forward at all times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you talk about that being a storyteller, um, I had a similar revelation in that for me, it was it was graphic design. It was visual art, right? It was that was the thing at which I hung over myself to say, this is the role I play. This is who I am, my identity and didn't realize that it was actually much bigger than that until later on in life and coming around to doing some other things where I was like, I don't know. I feels like these are disjointed creative uh, endeavors mm-hmm. until I started to look at it and through the lens of, you know, I'm actually a, a communicator. Mm. That's really what I am. And I communicate through a variety of means. I still communicate through visual art. Sometimes it's things that uh, I experience or that I'm taking in, like say live sketching events, right? How, how you know, you saw that yeah. firsthand. Uh, I, I'm taking this information in, I'm taking this experience in and creating something to communicate the story of here's what's happening at this event. Um, or if it's podcasting right, like this, or if it's speaking on stage for me, or if it's written word, like whatever those creative expressions are that may change um, depending upon the right season sometimes in the right uh, format, it's still communication that's at the core of that. And I think, you know, being defined by a very small slice of what creativity may look like, how it shows up in your life, a lot of people don't get past that. Right. They mm-hmm. get they get stuck on that particular and then they let that define yep. who they are, what they do, what their path looks like. Right. Um, I'm curious, like for your journey and you discovering you're really a storyteller, like what advice would you have to give somebody who may be like thinking, well, is it something bigger than just photography? Is it something bigger than, you know, visual art? Like, how do they know to explore that? Yeah, that's such an individual question. That's hard. For, mm-hmm. Like, I'm I'm afraid to answer because I don't want to give bad. Some people are photographers, right? Some people, yeah. it's like they like you could just tell by your energy. Like I, you know, when the people in my world that are photographers, like they live for it. They're they're studying it. They're they go deep into the stuff. Like I'll give you from the photo side. Like there were the 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 gearheads. They mm-hmm. could talk about the lenses and the camera. I could care less. I could care less about talking about what the latest lens. I get my friends like, what's the what camera should I buy? I don't give a crap. I really don't. Right. Like we would buy the best that was possible every four years. And then I never thought about it. Yeah. It was a means I, to an end, right? It, it, was, it was exactly. It was a means for not only for me to tell the story, but to get the access that I mm-hmm. create, right. To be in that world. So if I'm going to buy the, you know, EOS one end way back whenever, okay, when I'm ready, I'm going to, I'm going to buy the good stuff. And then I'm just going to go all in on what I want to do. But I would get questions all the time. Like, what kind? I'm like, you're asking the, like, there are amateurs that know way more about this than I do because mm-hmm. I don't pay attention to it. And that was kind of my first inkling of, am I really cut out for this? Cause I don't care about what all these people care about. And then mm-hmm. I have to, that's when you have time to think. And I even write in the first book, I realized what I selfishly, what I craved was access. I, I I didn't want to be in the crowd. I saw like a, um, it was an afternoon special when I was a kid. And it was some kid that went to concerts all the time. And he had no no real interest or life beyond that. I was very much like that as a teenager. Concerts and sports. Was it, it was music and sports. And I remember, I'll never forget, it was the dad who was very wise. And he said to the kid, he goes, you know, I know you love music. 
Um, but don't be in the crowd. I said, if you love music, either be on stage playing, be in the rig doing the electric work, ripping the tickets, you know, creating the sound, whatever you're doing, but don't be in the crowd. Make it part of your life. And I was kind of like, wow, that's a real, so that really helped me in terms of becoming a photographer. It's like, I don't want to just be in the crowd. I don't want to just be watching and paying for admission. I want to, I want that to be my world. So for me, again, it wasn't photography. Photography was my ticket in for the access of that. So you need to figure that out for you, what it is for you. For me, I knew early on, it was not the medium of photography, even though everybody still called me a photographer. Like I just, I just use photography to get, to get the life that I right. want. Right. So yeah. yeah. I don't know if everybody's the same. I'm sure everybody's not the same, but you got, that's an individual thing that you need to figure out for yourself. Otherwise you're going to be unhappy mm-hmm. because you're going to be doing something that you think you should be doing and you're not happy doing it and you don't know why. And that's a yeah. hard place to be. Yeah. You're playing a role then. Yeah. And it's yeah. a role that other people see you as now mm-hmm. think about a celebrity. How hard must that be? Everybody's like, Oh, I don't feel bad for them at all. Matt, you played a role on television 25 years ago that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. And you've got to live that role for the rest of your life because that's how the world sees you. Or you're a musician who wrote three hit songs in 1987 and you have to play those songs. That, that screws with your head a little bit when you yeah. really want to write a song in 2023, but nobody cares. They only care about you playing what you wrote back then. Like, I don't envy that. I really don't. Because that's when you're a creative, it's not about the money or the notoriety as much. It is about the creation. And when people only see you for that way, it's that's, that's what messes with people's heads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love that we're having this conversation because I don't think too many people actually drill down to this level, right? It's it's mostly the surface stuff and trying to just either focus on what it is that you're creating, trying to get by, you know, whatever it is. Um, but it's important things for us to really identify who we are and how we're showing up uh, so that we can be aligned and have the clarity and be able to, you know, really give from that place of authenticity, you know, yeah. um, and value truly, because you can't do that from a role, at least not long term, because inevitably you're either going to burn out or become disinterested or something else is going to happen to derail that. That's why people understand when people quit this stuff, because I don't understand you're making good money. You do work you love. It's safe. Why would you? And you don't realize, you know, you're not being honest with yourself. Yeah. And, yeah. and a creative is a different type because totally. I'll talk to people who have podcasts and they don't care about the creative side of it. At all. They care about how does this relate to numbers? And there's nothing wrong with that. But they don't care if they're doing the work or if somebody else is doing it. They don't care if it's their voice or if it's their, hey, if this is what the people need and this is how we technically get there, this is our goal. Wonderful. For you, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. If I'm inauthentic, and I'm not saying it's inauthentic, but some ways it is because you don't really care what the messages. You care about the, the metrics and the numbers. For me, if it's not who I am, like I read my audiobook. It's like, oh, that's so cool that you do that. There's no way anybody else in the world is reading my audiobook. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my words. These are my stories. Can you imagine some British guy reading my story? <laughs> it's like, I don't care how much money it's going to make. It's completely inauthentic to me. Yes. So that's why, you know, like even within our community, we call it, you know, it's Total Life Freedom Entrepreneurs Who Get It. Because if you don't understand what our troubles are, you don't belong here. And it's the same thing with the creators. If you don't understand this conversation, you really don't belong in that space because people that struggle with this struggle with this, unlike the ones that just don't get it. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand like where that's at. That's why this, what you're doing here is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Mm, such great conversation so far. I love this. There's like so many uh, points at which I think people are going to like pause and go back and go like, I need to listen to that again. Cool. Um, and one thing I want to just transition into, just because I know we had this conversation earlier and, um, and just hearing you talk about your story and how you, you know, you didn't wait for things to drop in your lap, right? I mean, and, and you can tell even just in our conversation how you're wired to just kind of drill down, attack something, you know, figure it out, process through it, move on to the next thing. Um, but in and amongst all that stuff, you talk a lot about connections, right? You mm -hmm. talk a lot about the people that you gathered around you and that through those connections and through that network, opportunities came. So yeah. can you like just guide us a little bit through like, how did that show up in your life and how can other people harness that power? I think it's one of the most underused, um, how, uh, what would be the word intangible mm -hmm. in, in our world today, being that we are so digitally connected and we have so many oppor opportunities, how so many people don't take advantage of this is beyond me. Um, but the opportunities come from relationships mm -hmm. and the true connection comes from relationships. It, it doesn't come from the numbers. I've met way too many wealthy people that were bored and lonely to, to ever give an answer that money is going to solve that problem. It, you know, it, it's important to a level, but relationships and connection are the key currency, not only in terms of, I think, fulfillment, but also in terms of even in terms of gaining that success. Because everybody, you know, we can say all we want about, you know, the money side of it, but to a certain point, it really matters. To a certain point, all of our lives, it really matters. And then if you interview enough people, there comes a point where it doesn't matter nearly as much, unless it's very ego-driven or generosity-driven, right? You want to raise millions of dollars. Like, that requires that. But, but up until, like, there's a lot of creatives that struggle. That's why I bring it up. There's a lot of creatives I know that are wonderful photographers, but they're terrible at business. Mm -hmm. Just terrible at it. And then I know a lot of people that are okay photographers that are great at business. And it drives me crazy because I'm like, they're making great money. The people who just crush it aren't, and they never figured that side of it. It's a whole different world. But the connection side of it, it opened all the doors for me in, in my world. Like, it, you know, way back to, you know, I think you heard the story on stage about the mafia when I was yeah. 15 years old. <laughs> and I could tell that story if you want, but it's like, it's yeah, all, yeah, too. Well, when I was, when I was 15, this is what goes back to my sports thing. I, I was a huge New York Mets fan. And, you know, so the, they win the World Series and is in the 80s. And I want to go to the parade. I'm not allowed to go. 14 years old. My mom won't let me. And I was mad at her for it. And but then six months later is opening day. Want to go to opening day. It's a day game. Not allowed to go again. And, and then finally, I bugged my parents enough that my mom said, well, if you could, if a friend will go with you, you can go. So I enlisted my friend Scott to go. And. So the day of the game, my parents leave for work and I go to Scott's house and I find out he's not allowed to go. Heard his mom changed her mind. So now I'm sitting on my front lawn, like, what do I do? And you know, I'd heard the phrase, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission before mm -hmm. in my life, but I never really got a chance to use it. So I said, I'm not going <laughs> back to school and I'm not sitting at home watching the game on television. I'm going to the game one way or the other. So I get on the bus to go to New York City, to go to Queens and I get to another bus. And on that bus, it's just, it's like middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday. It's just me and the bus driver and this big, just kind of scary looking Italian guy. And so I kind of try to avoid him. I sit in the back and, and from the front, I hear, you know, 
hey kid, shouldn't you be in school? And I'm and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, um, I'm going to the Mets game. And he looks at me, he goes, by yourself? You're going? He goes, you don't have a ticket? I said, yeah, I'm going by myself. No, I don't have a ticket. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a ticket when I get to the game. And he laughs at me. And he says to the bus driver, you believe this kid? He goes, he goes, sits to me, he goes, this game's been sold out for months. It's the hottest ticket in town. He goes, how much money you got? So he's asking me how much money I've got. I'm like, I'm scared. <laughs> he's going to rob me. You know? <laughs> and uh, and I said, like, you know, I, I, I got $30. And he laughs at me. And he goes, I'm getting in with $30? So he just kind of weighs me off. And I'm like, so glad he stops asking me questions. That's all he did was ask me questions. So I get to get off the bus and um, he stops me as I get off the bus. And he goes, hey, kid. And I turn around and he weighs me back. And he says, all right. And he pauses. And he says, right, when you get to Shea Stadium, he goes, you go to gate, you go to gate B. You ask for Vito Laterulli. You tell him that Funzie from the waterfront sent you. That's all, that's all he says. And, I'm, and he goes, you got it? And I'm like, yeah, I got it. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I got, but I'm like, yeah. And uh, he goes, okay, now go. So I leave and I get on the train that takes me to Shea. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing this. But I kept saying their names over and over. I don't want to forget. <laughs> so I get to the stadium and I get off the train. And I look and it's packed. Like wall-to-wall people. Everybody's looking for tickets. Nobody's selling any tickets. So I'm like, I can either get back on the train and go back home. Or I could go to gate B. So I'm like, I'm going to go to gate B. I'm going to see what happens. And I go to gate B and there's an old guy there at the gate letting people in. And I said, I asked for Vito. And he yelled, he goes, who's asking? And I point behind me. I'm like, uh, Funzy from the waterfront. Like I'm like pointing to nobody. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm so nervous. I'm looking down at his hands and I see his hands open the gate. And he, and he lets me in. And I'm like, first I'm thinking I'm in trouble. I'm like, well, why would he let me in if I was in trouble? He would just tell me to leave. So he goes, wait right here. gets on the radio. About two minutes later, some young lady, she's probably in her 20s, dark hair, comes walking down, big smile. She's like, hey, sweetie, come with me. So we start walking up the tunnel. We're in the stadium now. And I can't, I'm like, what's going on? So she goes, are you hungry? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And she goes over and gets me a hot dog and a soda and popcorn. She goes, you want a program? I'm like, sure. And she goes over and gets me a program. It's all free. Start walking across the concourse. Now I could see the field. I'm like, this is not a joke. Like I could see the field walking. Then we start walking down the steps, getting closer and closer, right behind home plate. And she pulls out a chair, like front row of the load section, right behind home. And she says, here you go. She goes, have a great time. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so like a half an hour later, the Mets come out. They get their World Series rings. I'm there for it all. They raise the, the World Series banner. Um, I could, I'm so close. I could see the diamonds on the ring. Like that's how close I am. Hmm. Daryl strawberry, my favorite player hits a three run homer in the first inning. The Mets beat, beat the pirates three, three to two, like best day of my life as a kid. It was amazing. I take the train home that night. I'm looking for funzy and I get home and I start telling my parents this story and they're kind of flipping out. Cause this, you know, this is before cell phones. You can't keep in touch. Mm-hmm. It was, it was an amazing time. And so I start telling them everything and I'm like, you know, funzy and Vito and the, rings and my dad's like what were their names again and i told him he goes where were they from i said i said the waterfront like it's the new disney world like this makes dreams come true <laughs> and uh i see the look on his and my mom's face and my brother and i finally realized like oh i gotta tell scott what happened the kid that couldn't go i go running to his house i show him the program he's screaming at his mother because he couldn't go and then i run home and i hear my parents whispering and they didn't know i came back home so i'm like listening i walk over to the wall and i hear them and that's when I found out what happened. And my dad says, 
he's got no idea that the mafia got him into that game. And I was like, what in the world just happened? <laughs> so for 10 years, I told that story. Everybody wanted to hear the story. I would go out with you know my parents and, and all their friends, and they all wanted to hear the story. And I always thought it was just a really cool story for 10 years. And then it wasn't until I started on my career in business to realize it was so much deeper than that. It was so much more than that. This guy that had nothing to gain from it was curious about my life and what I was doing. He asked a series of questions, never talked about himself, never tried to get anything for himself. Mm-hmm. And once he asked me these questions, which most people don't do, they talk about themselves as opposed to others. He was curious. And with each answer, he learned a little bit more. And by the time he figured out what the thing was, he realized not only can I help this kid, but I've got somebody in my network that can help him as well. So he, in a flash, made quick decisions, said, hey, you need to know this guy. Let me use this connection to help you out. I got off the bus, had the time of my life, a story that I'm telling 35 years later, and he never even knew about it. He doesn't even know I'm talking about him. He might have died a year later, mm-hmm. right? But they say, you know, legacy, you know, a person never dies until you stop saying their name. Mm-hmm. Well, it's my obligation to keep telling the story because if he died, if he's not around anymore, I still keep him alive because he taught me so many lessons, connect the unconnected, right? Mm-hmm. How often are we doing that? How often are we thinking, hey, I know Mike, I know this other person, I need to bring them together because their lives will be better because of it with no benefit of my own. Yeah. Now, I know there's going to be benefit because if I connect you to somebody that's a good person and you guys both elevate together, well, I'm going to elevate too because my network elevates. Absolutely. Right? And years later, somebody might be like, hey, I want to do that back for you. Maybe, who knows? Connecting them, asking interesting questions. All these things that he taught me without teaching me, and I learned more about building a powerful network and connections in 10 minutes on a New York City school bus from a stranger than I ever did in four years of high school. So that's that's why it's kind of a big deal for me. Yeah, yeah, love that. I love the story. I love that you've unpacked it that way and just use it as a teaching point. I'm sure people also wanna know that if if that password still can get them into a game. Well, funny, uh, <laughs> funny, story about, funny story about that, like I was nervous about it. I'm like, did something, you know, is there something wrong with it? Should I not be doing it? So my dad said to me, he goes, are you gonna use it again? And I said, I'll tell you what, I said, if they make the World Series, I'll do it again. So they didn't make the playoffs that year. And they made the playoffs the next year. And they made it to the National League Championship Series against the Dodgers. And I remember I was a senior in high school, I think. And so it was a seven-game series with the Dodgers. It was the year Oral Hershiser was the best pitcher in baseball. And he beat the Mets three times, including Game 7 of the National League Championship Series. If they would have won that game, Mike, I was going to be there for Game 1 of the World Series. They lost that game did not make the world series and they didn't go back again till 2000. So no, I never got a chance. I never used it again. <laughs> Somebody listening to this is going to head there and be like, I'm going to try it out. I'm going to let you I'm know. Totally. <laughs> totally. Well, they have a whole new stadium and I imagine nobody's yeah, going around yeah. anymore, but yeah. I know. <laughs> They're like, ah, get out of here, kid. You're bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. amazing. So, how has that actually continued to show up in your life as far as, you know, making connectors? I know you said like being curious, right. And introducing people, uh, being yep. that connector for people. Um, has, have you seen like how that's impacted your business directly today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
like oh, how yeah. how was that you know give us some examples of what does that look like because because up until recently i've sucked at business mm. i'll be honest with you, like we did none of the things that every guru will tell you to do it's only recently that we've really been building our email list and doing things with our website and blog like we've learned it all and now we're really expanding it now for for, for major growth but for the most part with our photography business even with the mastermind it was all done word of mouth it was all connection based. And what I kept hearing from everybody was, you know, it's, it's the connection side of it that mattered. It's it's the keeping in touch with people. It's it's sending out the notes. It's reaching out unexpectedly when people don't, you know, expect it. You know, it's it's connecting other people together. Those intangibles, until you see the results from having done it, it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of lips. Or, oh, yeah, that's, I know that's important. Then they don't do it. And then... You know, even just the way that you respond, the way that you ask questions, how how curious are the questions, how to ask great questions. Like a friend of mine told me this recently. He's like, he's in my mastermind. I'll get frustrated sometimes because they're not, you know, this person's not that curious often. Like they have their answers set. They know what they're going to do. And they're not asking. I'm like, you got to ask more questions. And so he's been watching this documentary. And I can't remember what it's about, but but they're interviewing these two journalists, these two top-notch journalists. And the journalist, and he's messaged me recently about this. The journalist said the number one trait of great journalism is curiosity. Mm. And that's when he realized, oh my God, like our background in journalism led to all this curiosity. My wife is one of the best at this. She, she can have a conversation with it for an hour and a half with somebody who never talk about herself and have this unbelievable conversation because she's so curious about other people, right? When yeah. you do that, you make people feel special. But... Think of the opposite. You go to a conference and you meet face to face and somebody talks about themselves for half an hour straight. It's all about them. It's all about what they're going to do. When you say something, they kind of look around the room and don't even give you eye contact Mm -hmm. until they can bring it back to themselves. That's an intangible that you don't even know why you're losing out on success in business and connection. You don't even know why the person doesn't even call you back. You just think, oh, there's just not a kind of no. So often we're so self-involved. And we're so interested in, in ourselves that we don't think, hey, what are you, what's going on with you? And then when you ask those questions and people kind of go, oh, oh I, I like that question. And then you kind of give a follow-up to it or you give your, you know, some experience that you have or you give some advice at some point. Once you've earned that trust, they go, this was amazing. This was so, and then they go, I trust this person more. Uh-huh. That's what led to all the business, Mike. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't any type of algorithm. It wasn't any type of it wasn't any of that stuff. It was just curiosity and connection. That's where the book came from, The Wealth of Connection. Because I say in the very beginning, we did everything wrong right from the start, except for this. But everybody's always like, how'd you build these businesses? This is how. So, you know, to be able to bring that in and tell people this has so much, not just, you know, not just personally, how much value it has, but also from literally from dollars, from from business, it has so much value. Um, So if we can bring that into the world more, well, that's that's the mission of this book. Yeah, I love that. Love that. It also reminds me of um, the title of the book is escaping me right now. But uh, Brian Grazer, uh, if you're familiar with him, he's you know a Hollywood uh, filmmaker who partners a lot with Ron Howard, and mm. he wrote this book, uh, and it was all about being curious. And mm. he talks about how like he makes it his mission. I don't remember if it was like once a day or once a week, whatever it is. But he would go out and he would just be curious as he was in his day and look for an opportunity to connect with somebody. 
And then he would just follow the breadcrumbs, right? He would have this conversation and maybe it was like, you know, a cab driver or Uber driver or whatever, or maybe it was somebody else that was famous and he ended up talking with them. Like he just, it, all these opportunities started to unfold because he was simply showing up, putting himself in a place where he was curious, he was open. Yep. And then he also found that like through a lot of those conversations, he would get ideas. And exactly. they would lead to stories that he was writing for films and or bits of information that somehow, you know, it, it made connection points for other things that he needed. Um, and it was all because he was willing to, to be in that moment, to be fully present, to be curious and to keep following the breadcrumbs and see what happens. And he was like, you know, sometimes it was you know, just a great conversation and that was it. And it's kind of, everybody went their own way and, and, you know, nothing more came of it. And other times, again, it, it ended up either being in some Hollywood film or some other bigger connection that he could never have planned for, you know, never. Yeah. I love, now I gotta, let me know what that book is. Cause I want to read it. Yeah. Um, I, gotta, I gotta look it up. Uh, Cause it's, like I said, it's escaping me. Um, I feel like curiosity is in the title or something. Um, but totally, totally love that book. But it's the, the whole idea, I think it was Kiyosaki said statements, close minds and questions, open minds. Mm. And that always stuck with me. Like I think about when I make statements, if I make a statement to you, you either have to agree or disagree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where, you know, conversations end with statements a lot of times, but a question, it opens minds. Hey, what, that's the problem with our culture right now. Right. Everybody's making statements. Hardly anybody's asking any questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you ask questions. Now you got to be open to the questions. Got to be open if it's uncomfortable to have a conversation about. It. If you just shut it down, well, where are you, what are you doing? You're closing yourself off, and you're making statements. And you can yeah. see the ones that grow are asking questions. The ones that in in, in business in creativity. And you know, so I don't know if I thought of it because I wrote it for the book. I can't remember if, if I found it somewhere else. But the person that asks the questions also controls the conversation. If you think about, hey, I'm not, I'm not a good conversationalist. I'm introverted. I'd like to do this, but I'm introverted. That's what I get a lot of times. Well, what's the problem then? If you're introverted and you don't really want to talk about yourself, or you don't really ask questions, learn about other people. You will control the conversation. You don't have to talk about yourself because you're learning about other people. Well, guess what? Like you said, you ask those questions. You go, that's a great, that's a great point they made. I'm, I'm going to write a blog post about that, or mm -hmm. I'm going to create some art about that, or I'm going to write, put that in my book. It doesn't come from telling what you already know. You already know it. You don't learn from it. So yeah. I think curiosity, it keeps you young, right? It keeps you interested. It keeps you just engaged as opposed to, no, I, I know my way and, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be that way. So I, I think, I think curiosity really is the currency. Yeah. And there's something that helps with iterations of things, right? There's something with reinvention that is at, at the core of that being curious too, because you're not going to run out of, material. You're not going to run out of questions to ask somebody or or a, a trail to follow. And even if you get to the end of something and it seems like, well, all right, well, that was it. There's still some other thing that you can offshoot into or or somebody that can introduce you to somebody else or, you know, another thought to have. Um, and so, you know, this this idea of continually creating, continually innovating even, um, so many times when you hear people that are like, you know, I don't know, I'm just not inspired. I'm just not, mm -hmm. you know, feeling like I have any significant thoughts for creating anything. Um, I'm stuck in ruts or I'm having blocks. Um, I think asking questions and being curious can blow that up completely, you know? 
100%. And I, and if you, and I hate to say it because somebody's gonna get mad at this, but if you find yourself like, Oh, I'm bored. It's there's, there's a sense of selfishness in there. There really is. Because with me, if it's bored, I'm thinking about myself. When I go to my son and he's kind of frustrated, I'm like, who are you thinking about right now? Who are you thinking? Are you, are you, are you, are you mad because you're really mad or are you just mad because you're just so focused on yourself? And, and I can only know this cause it's been me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, no, when I'm depressed, when I'm down, it's because it's me. I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm selfish enough. Like I'm not depressed about what you're struggling with, Mike. I'm just not right. I don't know it. I'm depressed when it's my stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also get out of it by not be so, by not being so focused on myself. I get out of it by being interested in what you're doing, learning about what you're doing. And now all of a sudden I'm not so focused on me anymore. I'm focused outwardly. And what that means is we become more generous. We become more helpful. We become less selfish with the curiosity. But when it's, you know, when I'm down, it's about me. Like I'm not, you're bored because you're not asking enough questions in any way. You're not curious Mm -hmm. about stuff outside of yourself. So I do think it's actually like, it it gets away from the selfishness part of it, the more curious you are. If you're more interested in other people, you're not so wrapped up in yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you can create things that are aligned with not only yourself, but what people are looking for, what they need, because you're engaged in those conversations. You're not simply creating something in a vacuum, bringing it out and going, here, I made this for you. And they're going, yeah, I didn't ask for that. I don't care. I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't it's care. all about you. You know, it's, it's right? like, hey, buy my thing, buy my thing. You know, people are like, ah, yeah, okay. That's why so um, much of this ties together, right? Like if, if you go to be like, I've been sitting in my room by myself for two years, working on my passion and this is the piece of art that's just in my mind and you look at me and you go hey buy it i'm like i don't i don't care it's not there's not something that i'd hang on my wall it's not something that i even asked for just imagine if you ask questions just imagine mm-hmm. if you're like hey what are you interested in what do you challenge with people buy stuff because of how it can help them mm-hmm. not because of how it's you know, your vision for yourself on your own. And then I think that gets lost so much. I don't know what I'm passionate about. Fine. Solve somebody's problem. You want to be passionate about something? Be passionate about solving a problem for somebody else. But Mm -hmm. right. But the people don't want to do it because it's because it's they want to do their thing. Now, when you can blend that, I want to do my thing too. But my thing has to align with solving a problem for somebody else for it to work all around financially and all that type of stuff Mm -hmm. has to. Yeah. Yeah. And I can attest to that because I've been all those different pieces at one point in my journey. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I've been the guy who created the thing and said, Hey, here it is. And people are like, yep. Good for you, buddy. Yeah. Happy for you. Crickets. (laughs) Right. I got, I got four reviews on Amazon for my book after three years. And it's like, wait a second, maybe because I never thought about who I was writing this for, except for myself. That's what frustrates me the most. Because I'm writing this book. I've always wanted to write this book. Did you get any feedback? No. Did you ask anybody about it? No. I'm just writing it. I'm not sharing anything. I'm not sharing it in blogs. I'm not sharing it personally. I'm just writing. I'm keeping it to myself. And then when it's ready, I'm going to get, nobody is going to care. I hate to say it. It's the ones that are doing it for a reason outside of themselves that succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Such good stuff, man. Um, you mentioned the book and I know you, you told me earlier, uh, you have a gift for the listeners today, which I'm excited about. It's very generous for uh, you to do this. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I recorded the audio book, which was a pain. The worst part of <laughs> the worst part of the process is recording, hearing my voice over and over again is not fun. I don't, I don't like, I don't like hearing myself on video. I don't like hearing myself on audio. 
but you're recording, you do it because it's it's needed. Um, but I want to give the audio version, the full audio version to your audience for free for anybody that wants it. So I'm going to share the link with you um, because I just want more people to hear it. It's yeah. not about sales. It's really about, hey, if you resonate with this message, if this message can help, if this can be something that's changes the conversation on this from what we're talking about today. So we can become more curious, have more character, build connection, build collaborations from that, and then create the thing that other people need so we can all be successful as opposed to, you know, the exact idea of the very, the end of the book is about creation, which is weird because everybody starts with it in the beginning in terms of what you're going to create. Well, like we just talked about, when you create something just for yourself or in a vacuum, turns out that if you haven't built the connections, if you haven't built the network, if you haven't been helpful of others, nobody's going to care. And, and you don't have a problem yourself. So we put creation at the end in the book, because when you can have great character, have your generous goals, be above your selfish goals, when you can have curiosity like Funzie, when you can use those two things to build a network, the connection, you take that connection and you build collaborations like we're doing right here, like Terry did at his conference, bringing people together, like-minded people. Now, when we collectively create things, we want to help each other. We want to prop each other up. We want to support each other. That's how it works. I think that's kind of a missing piece in this world right now. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And the full title of the book is? The Wealth of Connection. All right. And in this way, if somebody's like, hey, I appreciate the audiobook, but I'm I'm old school. I want to turn some pages. We'll make sure that we get people pointed in the right direction for that as well. Yeah, it's all it's all at the website. Totallifefreedom.com is the business is, is the website. Um, so it's all there as well. Awesome. Vincent, this has been amazing. And I, I believe it's going to be so helpful and enlightening for so many people. Um, and I want to just thank you for your time. I want to thank you for how you show up and sharing your journey and these connections, right? I mean, it's, it is currency and it is so valuable. And thank you for just connecting with me, having this conversation today. And I look forward to even more of what's to come. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. This is awesome. You do a fantastic job with this and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.